Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, three perspectives on living and working alone. So much of what I've been reading about how to adjust to the pandemic has to do with how to keep up social relationships, and that's unquestionably important. But I think it's also important to talk about the value of solitude. The general kind of discourse around it is let's let's all band together and support the mothers and the fathers who are in this trying time. And not once has it been mentioned, let's band together and support the people who are enduring this by themselves. It forces you to some personal growth, whether you like it or not. When, it, you, when it's not about survival, you get to know yourself in a different way. Coming up on The Broad Experience. I was a bit of a mess in the lead up to my 40th birthday. My father had died earlier that year. Work was in upheaval. All I could think about was that I had failed as a woman. I didn't have the things society said I should have by that age. A partner and children. Things I'd wanted all my life. Then as soon as I got past the birthday, everything was fine. It was like, okay, so I didn't meet expectations. So what? As soon as I got past that number, it was like a weight had been lifted from me and I could do anything I wanted. I started this show the next year. Women who didn't marry used to be called spinsters. And even today, remaining single without children has some stigma attached. Yes, it's changing. And yes, the single life gets glorified in some pop culture. But traditional attitudes are always ready to pounce. But if you feel it's bad now, let me introduce you to Joan Delfator. Joan has been happily single for decades. She's a retired professor of English at the University of Delaware. She still teaches from time to time. And in recent years, she's written a lot about the single life and particularly about improving access to health care for single adults. More about that in a minute. Joan is 74 now. We got on the phone last week. What did it feel like when you were in your 20s? I mean, the societal pressure now on women can be pretty heavy to pair off. So what was it like then? It was incredible. Let me give you a very specific example. I had been working full-time as an adult for seven years before I had the legal right to a credit card or to a mortgage or to any credit. There was no law that prevented banks from giving credit to single women, but they routinely did not. It wasn't until 1974 that Congress passed a law saying that marital status could not be used as the basis for determining whether someone could get credit. So think about how that feels to live in a society where 
you can't even get credit in your own name. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was deliberately aimed at making it difficult for women to work on their own, live on their own, have an independent lifestyle. In 1979, she was in her early 30s and she lands her first job at the University of Delaware. She should have been able to get a credit card by then, but when she applied for a visa card, no bank in town would give her one until she got to the very last place. That bank manager said there's no point even putting in your application because they'll turn it down. So he gave me a credit card with a limit of $499 because that was the most he could approve on his own signature. She says not that long afterwards, credit cards were being issued to pretty much everyone. Joan says she knew early on that she didn't want to be half of a couple. She liked her freedom, her career, her friends. But the rest of the world was focused on partnerships. At work, it was not uncommon for the single faculty to be expected to teach at night because, of course, the married faculty needed to be with their spouses, as if there was nothing that a single person might want to do at night that would be equally important and tremendous pressure to marry. People didn't even say, why are you not married? They asked things like, when are you getting married? She'd laugh it off, try and change the subject. Basically, she says she flew under the radar for years. She didn't want to make a statement about being single. She just was. But about 10 years ago, Joan was diagnosed with stage 4 gallbladder cancer. She told me the survival rate for this type of cancer is around 2%. She found a great surgeon who operated successfully, but then she needed follow-up chemotherapy and her chance of survival was still really low. Now, Joan had done her research. She knew the type and amount of treatment she should get to maximise her chances of survival. But she says the medical oncologist she saw wanted to give her a lesser amount because he worried that, being single, Joan didn't have the kind of support network she'd need to get through this gruelling treatment. He was totally hung up on the fact that he kept asking, you have no husband, you have no sons, you have no daughters. He couldn't get past that. And even when I tried to tell him about the friend-based support and the extended family support that I had received after the surgery that had gotten me through that, so it was not hypothetical. I knew I had a strong support system. I couldn't even finish a sentence. He interrupted me and was going to give me just this one mild drug. If I hadn't known that that's not what I was supposed to get, I would have stayed with him and almost certainly would not have survived. She found another oncologist who was willing to give her that higher dose of the drug, and she came through. But that experience changed her. So at that point, I said, okay, I could put up with the teaching at night. I can put up with the questions, uh, when are you going to get married? But when you try to kill me, now I am going to do something about that. That's a little too much. Joan wondered if she was just unlucky or if other single people had similar experiences. She did a lot of research and she found solid evidence that marital status did predict what kind of cancer care you'd get. The New England Journal of Medicine published her findings. Earlier this year, she had an article in the Washington Post that looked at single-by-choice people and how they were actually pretty well prepared to thrive in lockdown. But the one thing they did worry about was being overlooked for COVID treatment because of their lack of a partner. 
because of the perception that they just don't have those close, caring relationships in their lives. Jones says for her and many other single people, nothing could be further from the truth. She has a group of cousins who she says are like siblings. She has women friends she met through a travel group. Women who say they confide some things to her and other members of their friend group that they wouldn't to their spouse. And so there's a real intimacy, a closeness that people sometimes think comes only inside marriage and always inside marriage. But in fact, that kind of close relationship can happen between people who, if you want to put it this way, whose souls are on the same wavelength. It doesn't have to be someone to whom you're related, either by blood or by law. Joan has been busy throughout the pandemic pursuing her many interests, reading, opera, walking. Some of this she does with friends, other times she's alone or in a group on Zoom. But she has a community around her. She says she relies on them and they rely on her. But not everyone feels they have that. My next guest only wants to use her first name, Susie. She lives on the West Coast, works in consulting. She's in her 40s. And unlike Joan, she did not seek out the single life. In fact, she desperately wanted a partner and children. And it hurts that she doesn't have them, especially during COVID. Being stuck at home by myself, living a life I didn't want, is really challenging. I haven't touched another person since late February. No hugs, you know, no comforting, hand-holding, no nothing. And so it's, it is a very unique experience and it, it doesn't get a lot of exposure. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that that makes it even harder to endure. It feels like an invisible struggle. As the pandemic has ground on, we've all become used to seeing frequent glimpses into each other's home lives via Zoom meetings. Susie says for her, what's been tough is seeing her colleagues' family lives play out in the background of meetings. It exacerbates her feelings of isolation. It's just a much more personal view into the lives of people. However, I'm witnessing their life, but the same is not happening in reverse. And it's really challenging because I don't necessarily want to share this very personal element of my life with my coworkers. And yet I'm being just shoved into their personal life. I'm sure they're they're not excited about it either. But the the general kind of discourse around it is let's let's all band together and support the mothers and the fathers who are in this trying time. And not once has it been mentioned, let's band together and support the people who are enduring this by themselves. She says any outreach her company has done has spoken to couples and families, like the webinar she was on a few months ago. That webinar was really focused on dealing with your spouse and dealing with your children and and how to handle homeschooling. And it basically provided me nothing because I don't have that experience. Um, And when I asked a question, what do you recommend people who are enduring this by themselves? What do you recommend for them? And the presenter had (laughs) just was kind of stunned into silence, like had never considered it. And that 
feeling of just never even being considered. You're also enduring challenges and hardships, and it's just never even considered. Susie says it's that knowledge that what she's going through isn't even on people's radars that is so hard to bear. Her remaining family lives far away. She's lonely, and she's hardly seen anyone in person this whole time because she's afraid of getting sick. She says she has to think more about this than other people because she doesn't have anyone to take care of her should that happen. If you start to get sick, you have to figure things out. Like You have to prepare for every situation, and it's really hard, and it's, it's almost like because there's no one to witness us because we're by ourselves, the world doesn't think about it. One bright spot in that otherwise underwhelming webinar was that after she asked her question, the facilitator of the meeting spoke up herself. She said she too was single. And she was able to kind of provide some some empathy. And she basically said, yeah, it's it's a struggle to see and hear all of my married friends and parent friends talking about what this is like for them, because that's It's not what I'm experiencing, and it's really hard to feel so alone and isolated. So that must have felt really validating. Oh, it was amazing. It was incredible. And I I reached out to her afterwards, and I just I thanked her so much um, because not only did she help me feel like what I'm experiencing isn't unusual or there's not something wrong with me, it also helped everyone else on that webinar kind of open their minds a little bit about what other experiences are like. She says it's difficult to hear her mum friends bemoan the craziness of their lives juggling work and homeschooling. They say things like, you're so lucky you don't have to deal with this. But because this, a family, is exactly what Susie wants and doesn't have, she hates hearing that. She does not feel lucky. For her, part of success means being half of a couple being a mother. She would love her HR department and some of her married friends to think more about people who don't fit the family mold. I would love it if there was more awareness of how hard it is to be confronted with different people's lives. Um, I don't need people to stop. I just need people to be more aware. You know, women have miscarriages people are going through divorces. There's a lot of things that people experience. And just being aware that not everyone is living the same life, it just would be so much more helpful. You know, inclusion doesn't stop at at the things that we currently think of as inclusion. Inclusion includes all types of different lifestyles and all types of lives that people chose or didn't chose. She says even if companies just use language like families and individuals instead of just families, it would make her and others like her feel better. You can make a big difference. You can make somebody feel ignored or you can make somebody feel like they're seen. And especially right now when there's so many challenges, feeling seen is just, it's huge. It's a gift that you can give to so many people who aren't being seen. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I want to tell you about a new podcast series called Work It. The two hosts won a podcast competition in Charlotte, North Carolina last year, where they beat out 400 other entries to win. The hosts are Stephanie Hale and Jill Bierz, and they have conversations with people about their relationship with their jobs and how it shapes their view of the world. The latest shows include the theme of love with a wedding planner, actually kind of an elopement planner, which I didn't even know was a thing, a therapist and a vet, and the theme of having a passion or maybe even obsession with your work. Check out Work It on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts, not to mention wfae.org slash work it. When I posted about this topic on Facebook the other week, the responses were quite varied. One of you said you'd been fine living and working alone during COVID, but you had two cats and you'd chosen to live alone, and that made all the difference. Another almost burned out in the summer, in part because of all the household chores that piled up on top of work. Someone else was frustrated by the difficulty of dating during this time. What was clear from the responses is that you need your friends. Seeing other people both safely in person and online and talking on the phone, it's really important. And even then, it can still be hard. Magalie Rosenfeld is a psychotherapist in New York City. She's originally from Belgium, and she started out as a lawyer before changing careers. She says the pandemic has brought hardship and misery to a lot of people, But for those lucky enough to be healthy and financially stable, there are opportunities to explore internally. There's something new that has come our way that we didn't expect, that we weren't really prepared for. And it's a change in the system and it's a change in our lives that we have to adjust to. And so as long as obviously you're you're privileged enough to feel safe and and have financial security and and all these like basic needs are met, then it forces you to some personal growth, whether you like it or not. When when it's not about survival, you know, you, you get to know yourself in a different way. There is less busyness and overscheduling and intense, like doing, 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 like we've, Life has become, especially if you live alone and you work at home, a lot slower. And a lot of the ways that you've used in the past, perhaps for coping and keeping difficult emotions at bay are gone. And so you have to wrestle with all of this, which is not necessarily pleasant, but can also reap incredible benefits. Magali and Joan Del Fattore are in agreement on this. 
As a long-time single person, Joan is entirely at ease with her own company and her own psyche, and she is a firm believer in the power of solitude, in the worthwhileness of getting to know yourself. So much of what I've been reading about how to adjust to the pandemic has to do with how to keep up social relationships, and that's unquestionably important. But I think it's also important to talk about the value of solitude, the value of having time to just be quiet and think, the value of doing reflective writing, the value of having interests that deeply engage you that are not compatible with someone chattering at you all the time. It's not either or. In my opinion, it's a balance between that social, psychological, emotional interaction but also quiet, the kinds of reading and thinking and self-growth that happen when you're in a room alone with yourself, and that's okay. Solitude and loneliness are two different things. I can relate to what Joan says. In my many years of living alone, not exactly by choice, I enjoyed it a lot of the time. I saw friends a lot, I gave dinner parties, I also cooked for myself, I read, and I was able to develop and launch a big creative project. This one. I had more headspace back then than I do now. Magalie Rosenfeld says for some of her single women clients, it's hard to slow down, even now. We talked about this a couple of shows ago with Laura Vanderkam, but living and working alone can mean you never switch off. You know, a lot of the work that I do right now is also teaching people how to set boundaries, allowing themselves to set boundaries. Um, I mean, if we talk about women who are are socialized to, to please a lot and to bend over backwards, and then women who don't have children, that guilt versus women, who, like as, when they look at women who do have kids and they have to work so much because of the whole, so there is this tendency of overextending yourself. And then you get at the end of like, at some point you're like, you're burnt out because actually also the isolation and, and the work, I mean, it takes effort to do these things, to keep your mental health at a, at a level that's, that's acceptable. Yeah, acceptable. Like that's satisfactory for your yourself. So, all of this combined, you, setting boundaries and learning how to say no, like taking vacations, even if you don't feel safe going anywhere, or even if you like learning how to listen to yourself and then take action, is a big part of it. Yeah, and just and and actually saying to yourself, "I'm worth it." I think that for a lot of women is is a problem we don't we don't let ourselves even think that yeah giving yourself permission to say no and to stop and to yes and to learn what's okay and what's not okay and when to ring the alarm bell yeah, it's funny. This was just talking about this has reminded me of a couple of things from my life. So one nice thing I did for myself in all my years of living alone is sometimes I I buy flowers at the weekend. Like I like flowers and I thought, well, 
no one else is going to buy me flowers. I, I, they looked pretty and they gave me a real lift. They gave my mood a lift, as did having all sorts of little conversations in different shops I'd go to. You know, and obviously that can be more problematic now, depending on where in the world people live. You know, you're behind a mask, so you're not having quite the same connection with the the person, you know, in the store or the coffee shop. But still, it's something. But years ago, I remember... Um, I, I've always cooked. I've always cooked for myself. I've never been someone who survives on takeout. And I shared an office with this guy my age. We were both about 30. And I'd just gone to the fish market that was near the office. It was a great fish market. He knew I'd bought some stuff. And he said, oh, are you having, having people over for dinner tonight? And I said, no, oh, just you know, buying, buying my food. He looked at me like I had three heads. He was so surprised that I was actually taking the trouble to, to feed myself real food. And I was surprised by his surprise. And, and he and he was someone who was at the uh, he had been in a in a couple for a very long time. And and so it just it was really interesting because when you value yourself, you actually feed yourself properly. Yeah, when you value yourself, it's a lot easier to set those boundaries and to to know what's good for yourself and when it's too much. And so yes, obviously working on self-esteem and self-worth. And all of this is extremely important. You, like normal times, pandemic times, maybe what's good is now there's more opportunity to see that something is a little bit off in terms of the work-life balance. This idea of who you are when you're alone. I mean, you pointed, you said this, that when our lives are crazy, 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 and we're busy and we're commuting and we've got all these different things going on, you often don't really have time to look very closely at yourself. And now uh, so that there is, in, in, even if it's just the loss of the commute, I mean, there is generally more time and people are looking inward more. And I just, and yeah, I'd love, love to explore that idea with you of sort of who you are when you're alone and who you might want to be that is different from who you are right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, so that, that is obviously very, very different for everybody, but it's cultivating that opportunity of with things being taken away, what's left and how do you, how do you make use of it? I mean, with people who are in treatment and in therapy, that meant really digging deeper in some of the work. I mean, it's been an opportunity to dig deeper in the work that we were already doing pre-pandemic. There's because of the less noise and and recounting of what happened in a week, because less has happened in a week and maybe more has happened internally and really getting to know your feelings, like getting to know, you know, I spend also when we talk about work-life balance or fighting isolation, really getting to know what is it that feeds you, you know, developing this relationship with yourself where you get to know what feels good to you in a way that you may not have had the time to do before because life is so hectic. So really finding out the difference also between what is self-care and what is numbing, you know, how do you take care of yourself and how do you, you, you know, how do you gauge, oh, I've watched 15 hours of Netflix. How do I feel after this? Is this feeding me? Is it making me feel good? Is it, do I feel energized or do I feel depleted? And, and having this relationship with yourself 
is beneficial because it's that is going that's going to be something that's going to accompany you throughout your life like really knowing a little bit more who you are because you have this time to do it finally i asked magali what if you are someone who's really struggling with living and working alone right now what if you weren't happy being single when covid hit and the isolation has just made that worse So I think if you walked into this already frustrated and already annoyed by the situation or angry, maybe, or, or, you know, lots of feelings, sad, sad, like lots of feelings about where you are in your life and you don't want to be, but maybe there was still hope. Maybe you're, you were dating and you were trying to, and it wasn't working, but you were trying to do that. And then it's been taken away. You, You can't do that anymore. At least you can't do it in the way that you used to do it. There's a loss. So the first step is always to first acknowledge the pain, the loss, the anger. Um, and obviously it's harder to do it alone than if, you, if you're already in treatment with someone or if you have like a group of people you can support that you can like process. These are difficult feelings. Like the loss, mourning of that loss, um, the time that goes, you know, if you are on a time schedule to have kids and like time is ticking so there's there's a lot of difficult emotion to if you can honor because they're not going to go away unless you move through them and so that's the first step and it's already a, it's already a hard step there's you know there's no way to say uh, oh no it's okay it's not it sucks yeah yeah and then what would the next step after honoring your feelings be you know, it's that's that's where you're. That's the tricky part of the feelings is when do you know that when when are you done? When do you feel? You know, and as we were talking about this growth and this this inner work that we're doing is tuning in to how you are with something. As you develop that skill, you know when you're done with the feeling because it doesn't bother you anymore. I mean, we talk a lot about acceptance and, you know, you know, people are like, I just want to be okay with this. Well, you can't just be okay with this. You got to walk through it. So it's, it's learning how to do that. Then something else opens up. And so the, I mean, it's not a, it's, it's obviously not a how to, there's no how to for these things because they're tough. That's a very therapisty answer. It really is. Thanks to Magali Rosenfeld, to Susie, and to Joan Delfator for being my guests on this show. A few weeks ago, I read a wonderful piece about loneliness in the pandemic that I highly recommend. It's beautifully written. I'm going to link you to it under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. That's The Broad Experience for this time. It is the end of a very long year that most of us never could have imagined. Thank you all for continuing to devote a little of your listening time to my independent podcast. I really appreciate my listeners. I love hearing from you. And thank you especially to those of you who support the show each month. I hope you all get some time to relax in the next few weeks. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. See you next year.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.